This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. This podcast is Shareable. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard, commonly known as the world's most handsome strategist and professional speaker. I'm also a superhero. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single Shareable episode. And that's it. That's the intro. Short and sweet. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to Shareable. Today, my guest is Ian Bauer, the founder of Graphic Rhythm. Pivoting from his role as a trained chef to creating a successful and innovative graphic design firm is not easy, but Ian happily took on the challenge. He has developed a passion for helping small businesses build customer confidence and loyalty through strong visual content. And he is here to share some valuable information that he's learned along the way. And I got all sorts of questions to ask you, but Ian, what's up, man? Welcome to Shareable. Hey there. Thanks for having me. So you're a former chef. I am a former chef. Yep. Tell, let's start. Let's start there. Like, let you know, graphic design. We'll get to it. But let's talk about the chef thing, man. All right. If you're going to ask me what my favorite recipe is, no, God. No. So I was a personal over. chef. I would never do such a thing. Were you really? Yeah. So I used to be a personal chef in my early 20s. Or I, I say that, but like, I tried. I was like 15 years too early to that party. Like, if I did that now, there's a whole ecosystem, the smartphones, everything. It could happen. But back in like 2003, just we were not there yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, so, so talk about the where, where, so how did that happen? Is that like a, did you do that for a long time before the graphic design thing? Or is that like, Oh yeah. Was it out of a passion? Did you formally train? Like, Oh yeah. All of it. On it, man. All of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Hardcore. Uh, right out of high school. Um, I got a full scholarship to culinary school. Um, I'm from New York City. So like I went to culinary school right in Midtown Manhattan and I worked at Michelin three star restaurants, uh, you know, like an ultra fine dining background. Um, And yeah, I mean, like that was my identity and my career. And that's who I was for my basically my entire adult life. Um, And uh, ultimately the last post that I had was I got, I moved, I like moved away from New York and I got moved into central Pennsylvania where there's not so much fine dining, but I got into other stuff. Like uh, I was a culinary arts instructor for a bit. And then um, I was a uh, executive chef at a private college campus, you know? So, and that's where I ultimately ended up. Let me ask you this, because I have a very strong opinion about this, but do you feel that the skills that you learned as a chef specific, not, and I don't mean as a cook, I mean, as a chef, like the, the running the show, do you think that that's helped you as a business owner? And, and there, what skills, I guess, would you say, do you think you've carried over that have been useful for you? Yeah. I mean, so definitely. So, the, so first of all, if you're going to survive for any length of time in the food service business, you have to have a sense of ownership over your work. Um, and that sense of ownership is something that it's not even a skill. It's just a character trait and it's a character trait that you can develop. You know, it's a muscle that you can develop. And so to me, a sense of ownership, because in a restaurant environment or anywhere, you have to like, not only be focused on what you're doing, but you have to be focused on how it impacts everything. And you have to take ownership over other people's work and their domain. And because ultimately what you're delivering is a customer experience that has to be very good. And so you're always a part of that, no matter what you happen to be doing right now. So the, to me, that's always been a big thing is that sense of ownership. Um, but then more practically speaking, um, it's a per, what we do now is a production environment, just like in, a, in the food service. So those, all those production skills have become very, very handy for me 
in, in the design business. Yeah, I, I routinely think about mise en place as like a mindset more so than like, you know, a, a set of things like shallots and parsley and such. Like everything has to be in its place before you start rocking. And it's honestly one of the reasons why I think I fell into strategy was that my background in cooking has always taught me sort of like think prep first, like plan out what you're doing, like get your ingredient list, like map out your menu, think about how you're going to be doing your prep. Then you do your prep. And then when it comes time to, to rock, it's like, you've got everything already. You've thought about it. It's just time to execute. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so fond of strategy at this point is from the, the background in cooking. Yeah. And, and it's funny that you say that because, um, and you know, um, uh, I mentioned this uh, at some point, but I'm not a graphic designer, right? I'm a business owner, but when we run into, and occasionally we do a quality issue within the graphic design field, I actually take my team aside and I say, Hey, listen, I don't know anything about Photoshop, but I'll tell you that at an extremely high operating level in the fine dining industry, that we had these things that we did. And I would articulate them like, you know, like you always have a wet towel on your station and you wipe down your station after every plate up. And, uh, you know, you keep your knives sharp and, you know, or there's a certain way that we plate or we don't touch the rims of the plates or we always keep our plates hot. You know, like there's this list of things that we do that incrementally make us more excellent. So what we need to do is we, I want to know in the graphic design world, what are those things that are, make us incrementally more excellent? What are they? Are they how we structure layers in Photoshop? Is it um, the way that we execute a certain design technique? Whatever it may be, I want to know what those are. And we actually have those discussions. And my team is actually sick and tired of me saying, when I was a chef, this is how we did it. You know, But it's that same like, I know that there's parallels there. I know how to create excellence because I was a fine dining chef. And so now I want to know, like, okay, I want you to think about the way we work, the way a fine dining establishment does. I love it. I think there's so many applicable lessons there. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to start there when I saw that, you know, uh, in, in looking into you and everything and reading your bio um, was because I, I feel like I've learned so much from it. I actually wrote a post several years back called um, Leadership Lessons from a Chef. Uh, and the idea was essentially... And, and I think you'll probably agree with this, given the pedigree of the type of restaurants you worked in. If you get a good ingredient, do as little to it as possible. Just try to accentuate its natural flavor. Like don't screw up a good ingredient. If you get like a really nice lobster, like don't deep fry it probably. Um, and same thing, I think in leadership, like when you're leading a team, if you've got a star player, somebody who like they already have excellence, like don't try and mold them and control them and make them into what you want them to be let the, let the ingredient shine, let the, let that part of the dish be the star and, yeah. and get don't out of the try way. To control it. Yeah, exactly. Just get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. I totally dig it. All right. So, so, okay. That, thank you for indulging me in, uh, in the history of your, your culinary journey and such. So today you're no longer a, a fine dining chef. You've given that life up. I'm sure you probably cook mean meals at home now. Um, so your day-to-day -day now is running a graphic design business. Set the context for people of how somebody who doesn't know a damn thing about graphic design, specifically how to use the tools, how do you run a graphic design business? What do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? And why did you think to go there? Well, so the, and that, that's kind of the interesting thing is, yeah, I, I don't really know. And I'm not going to say, say that I don't know anything about graphic design because obviously I do, but I'm not a graphic designer. I'm not yeah. this, this, the person behind the, the artwork. Um, but what I really saw was a 
an opportunity and also a need in the market for what we were doing. And that need specifically was um, really around, and I actually own another business. So the, the graphic design agency wasn't the first business. I, I own another business where we do Amazon stuff, Amazon selling, but I had a designer on that team is the short story there. And our, and I'm part of a network of entrepreneurs and business owners and stuff like that, who always kind of expressed just like frustration uh, with getting quality work out of their designer. And so that that's ultimately what graphic rhythm uh, grew out of was me trying to help, you know, people in my peer network with their graphic design needs. And I saw, and, and apparently I have a knack for helping people communicate well, like I have a knack for breaking down things into, into, in a way that a graphic designer can pick up and turn into a visual depiction. And so that's the originally the kind of the role that I played when I started was I was this facilitator, um, you know, so I would work with clients a lot, acting really like as an account manager, really. Um, and now, of course, these days, our team is much bigger. So I'm focusing on marketing and, and things like that. Um, and that's where I spend most of my time and also operations, setting up systems and processes. So in your role as owner of this business and sort of the account manager at one point and now doing other things, you've had to interact with designers a lot. However, you're not someone who intimately uses those tools, creates the art, all of that. Um, but you do have what I would, I consider culinary arts to be a creative background, especially when you think about the beauty of plating and, and things like that. And also just the creative process of you know, every time you're making something is, is, is sort of a work of art in and of itself. So, you know, I would say you have sort of a a creative artistic background in that sense. What have you found about the most effective ways to communicate and interact with creatives? Um, Because to run a business like this, you have to have a knack for being, you mentioned you have to have a knack for sort of communicating things in a way that a graphic designer is going to understand and be able to do something with. I do a lot of work with creatives as well, primarily as a creative director and as a strategist on messaging and things like that. But I'll sometimes have feedback from a client about something that's aesthetic, like an aesthetic choice. And what I've found in working with creatives is that unlike non-creative work, there's much more of a personal attachment to the work. There's like a, a sense of identity of what you put into each dish, into each piece of art, into each design. And you not only have to take care with the feedback you're giving, but also with the person you're giving the feedback to. What sort of things would you recommend or have you learned and that you could pass on that you think make you a successful communicator with creatives? Well, so first, you've already said it actually earlier, which is this idea of getting out of the way. And to apply that more directly, um, Oftentimes, people who are trying to direct creative people who are not experienced at it, um, they overmanage, they micromanage. And what happens is, is that they get the result that they were looking for in a bad way. <laughs> and so, for example, and you see that in the culinary world, and that's where I kind of learned the skill because I would interact with like the campus president and he would tell me, you know, what he had in mind for this menu. And I would have to interpret that. Um, and sometimes that means reading between the lines, but, but if you, if you say to somebody who's creative, um, words that are design related, like if you're like attend, essentially like putting your hand over theirs and like trying to design through them and you just don't happen to have the skills, 
you are going to get exactly what you asked for. If you start saying things like, oh, add a shadow here or brighten this up or try these different colors or I want to see this font or whatever, you're going to get exactly what you asked for and you're going to lock a designer in mentally into this uh, like downward spiral where they feel like they have to just do every little thing that you're telling them to do, even if it's not in your best interest, even if they know better, right? And so the, the tip here is that if you are hiring a professional, get out of their way, um, articulate your goal, and then see how they meet your goal using the knowledge, the skills, the experience that they have and that you hired them to have. Um, and then, you know, very often they don't nail it right away, but then when you're providing feedback, provide feedback in the same way, which is a much bigger picture, you know, like, oh, so this thing is overall a little bit too dark. Uh, can you fix that, you know, and then let them figure out how to fix it without you telling them, uh, take away the vignette and, you know, micromanaging kind of stuff like that. There's a really funny uh, cartoon by the oatmeal. Uh, about web design that actually is very, very similar to kind of what you mentioned about putting the hand over their hand and kind of, and, um, and it, you know, the, the, sum, the summation of it is like, they say they want a website, they say they want it to be innovative and different and it winds up looking like their old website and the web designer winds up feeling like they're essentially like a mouse attached to the client's hand. Um, and yeah, I've seen designers uh, like shrink and kind of crumble almost like emotionally under like, like almost give up and become apathetic. It's like, okay, if you're just going to tell me exactly what to do, why did I even do this in the first place? Why did I go into this line of work? Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely an art form for uh, being able to communicate with creatives. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, that I, I actually think of it as like poisoning the well sometimes or the yeah. client is actually poisoning this well of creativity um, and I feel it too, like when I work with clients, I actually, uh, I recently got an email from a client where the, you know, they're basically like, we're going to tell you exactly what to do. And I'm like, you know, why did you bother hiring us if, if you think that you already knew exactly what to do? But yeah, it's that idea of poisoning the well that you want to avoid. So what kind of clients are you guys working with? Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned this kind of was an outgrowth of the, the Amazon business you have. Is that primarily who you're working with is Amazon sellers who need graphic design or are you kind of wholesale, like not wholesale, like wholesale pricing, but like working with people across all different industries that need graphic design? Yeah. So because of my strong ties with that Amazon community, about 50% of the work we do is Amazon uh, optimization and things like that. Um, and we're, we're really kind of trying to focus on other industries, though. We really like to uh, um, work a lot more with digital marketing agencies. And so we're developing a bunch of programs uh, related to that. And, uh, you know, we've got a bunch of clients in that world. So like think like social media, helping them help their clients with logo identity uh, type of design. Um, so that's about the other 50 percent of what we do is is, you know, digital marketing agencies mostly and, and some other small business. What do you think about the, um, how long ago did you start this business? Uh, three years. Okay. So I don't know how long ago things like Upwork and Fiverr and those sorts of services came out. But one of the things I know from the, the creatives that I work with and the graphic designers and um, you know UX designers and people like that, that I work with is that there's sort of this, um, I don't even know how to put it, but like, there, there's almost like categorically now like four or five different levels of design. And it seems like the entry level, low cost outsourced design 
is starting to creep up and up and up into more premium level things. In the work that you're doing, do you see that as being, um, do you see that as being something that's going to continue or do you think that it's going to continue to kind of stratify along these lines of like price and quality um, for design or is it kind of like the fibers of the world eventually will be the marketplace and commodify design entirely? Um, you know, I, I mean, these things have been around for a long time and uh, ultimately they have a, they have their place, you know, I mean, I, I use fiber. It's sometimes it's oh, just yeah, like, it's, great. it's just like just the thing I need. I just need something quick and it's not even really about price. It's just, I, it's the place I can go to find what I'm looking for, you know? Um, and I think it's really good and it serves a, it serves a specific purpose, which is like these one-off kind of things. But when you're starting to incorporate these services in, into a broader, more consistent part of your business, it can start to, some of the downside of that, that uh, business model can start to appear like consistency or availability, or, um, even just going outside of their, their skill range. Um, and that becomes a problem. So I don't know that Fiber doesn't keep me up at night. Um, our artificial intelligence does, on the other hand. <laughs> so I think that that's actually more of a threat to graphic design than anything else out there is how sophisticated artificial intelligence is getting. So, um, In my undergraduate, I did, um, I was a film major, but I really got very interested in photography. And um, I know I look very young. We're on video and you can tell that I have a very young face. Thank you for saying so. Um, but I went at the transition between analog and digital. So digital cameras were very, very entry level at that point. Digital video was like in its infancy. It was like Final Cut 1.0. Um, and I started to get this feeling like when I got into photography that like, um, as I was using film photography, I felt like every image had this unique quality to it. And then as digital cameras became more prevalent, I started feeling like, wow, it's really easy to take photos because you can just delete them if you don't like them. And then as time went on and, you know, I got out of photography, got out of school, whatever, and phones started to have cameras. Now we have iPhones and all that. I have this feeling of like no photo actually has particular value anymore, like long lasting value, like, like back in the day when photography was like an art form. And I wonder what your take is on the state of graphic design when there's this need for constant social media content. There's this need for design, you know, you know, in your brochures and your sales materials and your logos and so many people and, and so many designs are being created that it almost feels like it's tough to come by originality at this point. What's your sense of like the future of graphic design as you're currently seeing it? Um, when it's so widely accessible and it's so saturated and there's so much out there, do you have like, um, because I know that you're like, you're all about like helping small businesses to like bring their ideas to life. And, and I think to a certain extent, that's always going to be possible. But in, in terms of like the flattening of access to design, do you see that as having any sort of impact moving forward that concerns you, excites you? Like kind of where do you see that going? Because you have this business and I'm sure you're constantly looking backwards and forward. Like, what do you see looking out based on those kind of factors? Yeah, I mean, and so what you're really talking about is this idea of gatekeeping, you know, and the, in, in your photography example, you know, it, it was that there was a time when a photographer was essentially a gatekeeper to good photography because 
you know, you didn't have the lights, you didn't have a film camera, you didn't even know what to do with the film and sending it off to uh, CVS for uh, to go out for a week and come back was not going to produce the result you want. And then the more accessible it became, the, the less control photographers ultimately have over that medium and the results that it gets. But as with photography, I think that graphic design is in the same exact place uh, because the software is getting better and better. There's things like Canva out there and that's getting really good. Um, but, and, and like I said, artificial intelligence is going to be able to really dynamically help, you know, somebody who's unskilled turn, turn a design, you know, over and make it look good. Uh, but, you know, so that's going to affect the industry for sure. But I think where um, there's always going to be a real need is for this kind of human touch, right? And so um, we work with busy business owners and um, even if they're somewhat inclined to do it themselves, uh, they much prefer to have a guy, right? And I'm using air quotes here, like their guy. And everybody wants that guy, that person, that contact, you know, that reference that they can make. And that's where the value I think has always been really in the service business and where it's always going to really lie is this ability to reach out to somebody who knows you, knows your business, knows what you need and can produce. Um, and it's as much a service as it is a status symbol, you know, um, is, is, you know, to be able to say to somebody else, oh, I'll have my graphic designer do that, right? To me, that's kind of like people people crave that and, and they're happy to have that, you know. Um, and I so I think that that's always going to be a bulwark against it doesn't matter how democratized or how commoditized graphic design ultimately becomes. People still want that, you know, person. Yeah. And even if you have Canva, you still have to go in there and do it and you still have to go in there and, you know, make it your own and you have to drop in your photos and your colors and your fonts and all that sort of stuff. And granted, they are making it easier. And like another one that I think about a lot. Um, because I've been building WordPress websites for like a decade now, not like professionally, just kind of like if I have a project, I spin up a WordPress website. And a buddy of mine is a UX designer and he's really into Webflow right now. I don't know if you, do you guys do uh, outside of graphic design? Do you do like web design, UX design, stuff like that? Yes, we do. And we exclusively work on Webflow. Ah, oh, sweet. Okay, let's go down this rabbit hole because uh, <laughs> we were actually having a conversation about this today that I'm really curious your opinion on. Um, so one of the things that I've, noticed about Webflow that, so WordPress feels, um, after using Webflow and seeing what Webflow can do, WordPress feels like very Microsoft Word, like feels like kind of almost clunky at this point, unless you're like a developer, like I'm not a developer, I'm talking like out of the box, Joe can like use a thing. Webflow just seems like even if you're not super sophisticated as a designer, you could build something pretty cool. But my buddy is like really, really good at like building out interactions and things like that. So we were having this conversation today, actually, about websites that have a lot of interactivity baked in and storytelling and like dynamic type of experiences versus ugly websites, right? So like I build on WordPress, like they're not ugly, but like they're standard. They're like what you expect. You have your hero image, your text, your button, you've got your one, two, threes. You've maybe got, you know, the, 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 the who this is about. You've got your testimonials. Like you have all of your basic sections. And he's really into building out like stories. Like when you go to the Apple website and you like scroll through it, and it's like the iPhone spins and does all this stuff. So What's your take on like where we're going to go from here? Because my sense of it is a lot of clients are going to be very reluctant to do stuff like that 
there's a higher degree of difficulty of like, oh, I don't like this or I don't like that. There's going to be a lot more of that like wanting to control. And then on top of that, I don't know if the results necessarily outweigh building an ugly site. So like, what's your take on like where we currently are with web design? I know you're using Webflow. So like you're pushing the envelope. So I'm hoping that you're going to push the envelope here, but like, what's your take on where we are and maybe where you think we're going to go with that? Well, so to me, it kind of depends on what the website is for. Um, you know, so like I've always felt very, very strongly that as a design company, we need to have a good looking website and there has to be some kind of a wow factor and people are going to want to remember their experience with it. And I think that there's a lot of value to that. And, um, yeah, I, I like personally, I'm like super into those websites that you described where, yep. you know, there, you know, there's scroll effects and glass shatters, and then you're zoomed over to another place, you know? Um, and I think that that is really impactful and very memorable, but, um, it's like a know your audience kind of a thing, you know, like I think of like a law firm and I think that it would be really, uh, out of place for a law firm or healthcare or any business that's, um, you know, Just trying to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to, trying to present themselves as much more like conservative and, um, straightforward. I think it's out of place. Uh, yeah. So I think that, and there's a whole world of interactive content out there that's starting to become easier to uh, access. Um, there's some tools that are heinously expensive right now that you could build these interactive experiences, you know, where it's like a, it, like a clickable infographic and stuff like that. And I think that those are so cool and I can't wait till they get more affordable because we're dying to get our hands on them. But uh, I think that that's the way it's going to go. Is this, the web is going to feel more like, um, uh, like an application th than a yeah, website, you know? Do you think that like, so So I actually said something similar to what you were saying about like the, the healthcare, the law, like I feel like B2B type stuff um, is more like, hey, we're pretty straightforward. We just want to know like, what's your pricing? What are your services? We're trying to build our short list. We want to know you have a contact form, maybe send us some information. Like it's, there's kind of like a standard old school business approach to it. Do you think that that's just a sign of the times and that like in 15 years, 10 years, four years, we're going to start to see law firms and more healthcare firms that have interesting dynamic websites that tell stories? Or do you think that there's just sort of a dividing line between companies that can do that kind of sexy design work versus those that can't? Because that's kind of what today's conversation, really, we kind of left with like the, I don't know if that's ever going to be the way it is. Or, or if there's just always going to be that dividing line? Well, so the, the answer that really needs to be answered or the question that really needs to be answered is this idea of uh, does the design make the person viewing it feel the thing that we want them to feel, mm -hmm. right? And so if we get to a point, you know, if, if you go to our website or a design website or Apple's website, you want it to feel like it looks really good. You want confidence that this is, you know, like these are the people, this is the product, whatever it happens to be. And so that's the whole goal is to create that feeling of confidence, right? If you go to a car uh, dealership website or something like that, you want to get a different, maybe a different impression, depending on what you're looking at, maybe this sense of homey or sense of feeling or whatever. And so if you go to a law firm, firm or an insurance agency, you want to get this feeling of security and, you know, reliability and stuff like that. And so as as long as that design conveys that feeling, 
I think that it's doing a good job. And so I could definitely see uh, in the future here where that those kinds of designs and those story-driven designs and interactivity are associated with a sense of confidence and something that looks older is going to make somebody wonder, you know, like, are they, are they up to date on stuff? Is their website a reflection of their, you know, uh, inability to keep up with the times? Uh, and so, yeah, I think that, I think that ultimately that's where it's going to go. I mean, right now, when we, we come across websites that look like they were built in 1998, it doesn't matter what kind of business it is. You have a sense of like, uh, maybe I ought to go somewhere where they're projecting a little bit more authority and confidence. And so ultimately that's where you're going to have to go. Got it. All right. I want to ask you two complimentary questions. I'm going to start with the first one. Um, the, the first one is I'm wondering if, so you serve uh, different types of businesses. You have a big foot in with the Amazon um, uh, seller community and you provide graphic design services for them. So I'd say on the, the first question is how can organization Amazon sellers or otherwise best work with graphic designers? What are the sort of key things to go in thinking about? What are the things that they want to avoid because it frustrates the crap out of designers? Like what is your, you know, few minute pitch of you're going to be working with a designer? Here's how to get the most out of it. Yeah. So I would say um, start with an awareness of, of the design world. Right. And so the, and we'll compare it to cooking. Uh, so if you go into a restaurant, um, there are cooks and there are chefs back in the kitchen, right? And the cooks are good at the technical stuff. You know, they are, they spend all day long just cooking a piece of fish exactly right. Um, and if you ask a cook to, um, to improvise or, or come up with something they might be good at, they might not be, but the point is, is that they're much more of a technician than anything else. And so if you are out there in the world and you're going to Fiverr's and Upworks or even to us, you have to understand who you're interacting with. Is this like a technician or is this somebody who is more of a, like a director or more of a chef and where they're able to synthesize your ideas and not just, you know, perform the skills that you need them to perform. So go in with an awareness of that because even, um, you know, like uh, Graphic Rhythm and, and our, all of our competitors, one of our core products is really just working on worth with, what's called a production graphic designer. And so you have to um, provide a, a little bit more level of detail when you're interacting with them. Um, on the other hand, you could be working with more of a director or, or, a very, uh, or a veteran designer who's more comfortable synthesizing your ideas. So setting that expectation is, going to, is really going to help you be successful and determine how happy you feel with the outcome. Let me ask you a quick question to follow up on that. Is that suggesting that if you're going to work with a designer, know whether or not you want them to actually be creative and manage and oversee and guide versus if you just want them to get the crap done? Yeah, exactly. That's perfect. Okay, cool. Good. Okay. So that's one important thing in terms of the interfacing and interaction with a design company or with designers. Are there any like additional things that you would say if you're going to work with designers keep these one or two things in mind because they're of the utmost importance. I'll go yeah. first. Don't say this sucks. I hate it and not give any critical feedback that gives any sort of information that's actionable. Like, don't just tell me your emotional response. Tell me specifically what you don't like about it so that I can explain either the design decisions so you can understand it or I can work around it. That's my first one. That's what I would come with. 
Yeah. And um, there's kind of like a razor's edge too with sharing um, reference work, reference material. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just a, like an anecdotal kind of story here, when we do logo design, we don't let our clients share reference material of what they like because um, it, it creates this horrible situation where the client, like we cannot, we, we, we're not going to create a derivative work, right? And so we can't create things that look enough like the thing that you like, and it is also different enough from the thing you like. And so like, we're chasing this dream that's never, ever going to happen. Um, it's really smart. I really like that. I think that's a really good idea. And the, and I also feel like unconsciously as a, as a creative, whenever you see something that somebody shows you, it's creative, you have this sort of magnetic pull toward it in some way and it stifles your ability to think outside of that box yeah yeah so we're in and another anecdotal kind of thing here we're we're developing a, a, a bunch of like video services and so uh we asked one of our clients to beta test and i just said like hey just send over some pictures of your product and you know stuff like that and they did and in the file that they sent us was these really awesome videos that somebody else made. And uh, I, it was like a Trojan horse for us. And I actually like deleted them before I sent them to my creative director. And I said, just, Hey, so, you know, there was videos in here, but I deleted them because I didn't want to ruin like your, your creative process here by exposing you to things that the client already really liked, but that we, we couldn't you know reproduce in any way, shape or form. So it's that exact idea. Um, so, uh, you know, but with that, you have to understand that um, this, this is the kind of rule that scales with your emotional investment in the final design. So like, if you're asking your designer to do like social media posts, by all means, send them reference material, you know, like, that's fine. You know, it's going to be the fastest way to like get these like really commodity designs out as quickly as possible, you know, but when you're talking about, um, you know, like cornerstone design, like logo, visual identity, big marketing pieces, try to avoid the reference material and instead use words to describe what you want. I like that cornerstone and commoditized. Those are kind of like two good categories for thinking about the design work. I dig that. Okay. So let's flip the entire conversation that we were just having on its head and let's look from the designer perspective. So you're advising a designer, designer working with clients, What are some things that designers need to think about to best be able to have good relationships with their clients, have successful projects, um, and also ultimately to be able to charge what they're worth? Because I think a lot of creatives in any field, one of the things that they most have trouble with is being able to charge what they're worth because they don't know how to value their own work. Yeah. So um, the the value for your work is kind of a a leap of faith thing initially. If you're starting out as a designer, um, you might find it hard to imagine charging thousands of dollars for a logo or something like that. And what I would recommend, honestly, and there's a lot of people out there who will say different things like, oh, just charge it. You're bringing the whole thing down. They could just, I, I think that that's bad advice. What really what you want to do is you want to raise, keep raising your prices. Like every time you do a project afterwards, raise your price. And then um, all, all, what you're eventually going to run into is people complaining about your price. And now you are in the right place. <laughs> when people are complaining about your price, now you need to be become better at articulating the value of your project. So that's just you know kind of what I've learned about pricing and design projects. And the other thing too is, um, you know, there's there's this false 
uh, thing that designers sometimes do, which is, uh, and that we fell for, you know, when we started out, which is like, I'm going to cost out like what is how many, how much time it's going to take to do this. And then I'm going to apply a certain multiple and that's going to be my price. But then you really um, fail to understand the emotional investment of the client, like what it means to them and your price needs to match what it means to them um, because their expectation is set on what it means to them. That's why logos are so much more expensive than a social media post, even though a logo could arguably take half the time uh, to actually produce. It's it's going to take you 35 revisions or something. Not that many. I'm being uh, hyperbolic, but you know that kind of thing. So keep that in mind. Got it. Um, and then in terms of like the, so that's the monetization piece in terms of the creatives designers specifically, I guess, working with clients, what are the important things for them to go into the early negotiations, the early onboarding and discovery, anything that you would recommend to any designers listening, Hey, make sure you do these two or three things because they're going to make your life infinitely easier. Yeah. So it's not really, the advice is not really like these two or three things. It's more about presence. Um, and it's more about an attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that we constantly have to, uh, reset the table with our designers on is push back, push back on the clients. Do not just roll over and do whatever they say, because your clients, um, have an idea of their goals and they have an idea of what they like, but they often don't have a good idea of how to get there. And so um, we always, always talk to our designers about if a client asks you to do something which you think will look bad, tell them that. Please tell them that. That's why they want you in their lives is to be this authority, this design, um, you know, uh, professional who can guide them. And so that's really um, you know, I'm, I spend like all my whole days in, in client meetings. And that's one of the things that clients routinely tell me they appreciate is when I say, I hear what you're saying. And I, and I understand the trajectory of your idea, but I think that the way that you're suggesting we achieve that idea is not going to work the way you think it will. Here's another couple ideas about how we can accomplish the same goal. And they love that because it gives them confidence that they've chosen the right person to deal with. Who's not just going to let them, you know, run off and do the wrong thing. So be that authority for them and, and, you know, don't be afraid to like push back. All right. Well, final question to wrap up on, and then um, we're going to, we're going to close out the episode. The final question is why should organizations consider outsourcing the design rather than hiring? Why should somebody work with a designer? What's the value to their business? Why does it matter? Right. So um, as far as why they should work with a graphic designer, to me, it's all about authority and, and the ideas that we were talking about earlier. Um, There have been studies that have shown that companies that appear um, more consistent and that value design and have well-designed products, presence, whatever, it creates a sense of confidence, which creates a sense, uh, a a stronger desire to buy, right? So you, people, and in short, people want to buy things from companies that look more professional or look like they've got it together or have a more consistent um, kind of uh, brand. Now, as far as whether you should hire inside or outside, it really depends on your goals. And um, I would say that hiring an internal designer is probably the hardest thing to do. And um, you might think it's because of the money and it's really not. Uh, If you can afford to hire a designer, that's great. But the thing that that designer, that that you're gonna discover is that designer is really good at a narrow set of skills. 
Uh, maybe they're good logo designers, or maybe they're good motion graphic artists or good illustrators, but they're not going to have the entire toolbox. And that's fine. And that's natural. And that's what you would expect from any professional uh, career. And so you're still going to have to go outside and find people to plug in those places. And so until you can really have a couple of people on your team, hiring internally is not only expensive, but it's also not a, a complete solution. Um, and so if you work with an agency or an outsourced solution, you have the flexibility of a team that's going to have a variety of skill sets. So like if you work with Graphic Rhythm, we have a motion graphic artist. We have dedicated departments for logos. We have illustrators uh, who just love to get out a pencil and paper and sketch out your ideas and all that stuff. So you really have that flexibility without having to hire each of these skill sets individually. So that's the big reason I think that um, working with agencies is really the most effective way to get design work done in your business. I dig it, man. And I, I echo a lot of that in my experience. Um, in general, hiring anybody that is a sort of like very narrow function can sometimes lead you to go, what do I, I don't have anything for this person to work on, right? Like you, like when you have a need for motion graphics, for instance, like maybe you need three different motion graphics for the website or for a video or something like that. But then you're like, okay, well, uh, I guess we'll talk to you in a month or two. And I think that's one of the nice things about, you know, working with any outsource partners or working with individuals that are, um, you know, experts in their individual field is like, you need that thing. You find that thing, you develop a relationship with them. They become a de facto part of your team to continue working with over time. So um, I a hundred percent agree with you on that. And I think having a deep bench is always nice too. Um, you know, I've worked with some designers that have a particular style and I love their style, but their style isn't right for every type of project. So it's sometimes nice to have access to a, a larger bench. Um, well, Ian, man, thank you for coming on to Shareable. I want to give you a moment to, uh, you know, just unabashedly promote the heck out of yourself and your businesses, any and all of them. Uh, tell people where they can order takeout from you because obviously you got you got the skills in the kitchen. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, but take this time. It's just unabashedly self-promotion time. Tell people where they can go get in touch with you, connect with you, hire you, learn more. Yeah, sure. Uh, so um, I can't help you with the takeout. But if uh, you're looking to plug a graphic design team into your business, then uh, definitely consider going over to graphicrhythm.com. We're a full stack design agency. We can help you with your everyday production graphic designs. We can help you uh, rebrand. We can build a website for you and we can do videos for you. So we're really, we strive to be everything that you need in your business from a design perspective. Beautiful. Cool, man. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. Um, I appreciate the perspective. I think there was a lot here for people who are designers, people who would hire designers, people who are business owners, um, and even people who have a background in, uh, in cooking and culinary uh, could learn a little bit about running a business and leadership from, from the discussion we had. So thanks again for coming on, man. I thought uh, it was a really good conversation and it's something that people should tell others about, which would make it shareable. Wait, don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me, please. Okay, if you enjoy Shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, Shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. 
The third way that you could support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing. You see, Shareable is just one of many projects that I'm working on at any given time. I've got another podcast called Rogue. I do a live streaming show every week called The Heroic Council. I've got a blog where I release a blog post twice a week. And if you're looking to keep up with all sorts of different content that can help you grow and become a superhero in life, I want you to check out jeffgibber.me. That's where I list all of my current projects and projects that are coming up in the future, including my forthcoming book, The Lovable Leader. It would mean a lot to me if you could go and check out some of the other things I've worked on because I put just as much of my heart into those projects as I do into Shareable. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for being a supporter. And I hope to see you here on the next episode of Shareable.